Shoot your eye out, kid. All right. Well, happy New Year's to all of you guys. Happy New Year's. 2022. You know, like when I hear that, it sounds some, more like something out of a movie, you know? Like, you know, all the movies that always talk about, yeah, in the year 2022. It doesn't sound like it's actually re- the, our current reality. This is where we are, 2022. Who's excited out there about 2022, by the way? Raise your hand. All right. All right. All right. Well, who's, who's just excited about 2021 being over? All right, all right, yeah. Uh, of that group right there that was uh, kind of wooing, uh, who said the same thing last year in 2020? <laughs> all right. Well, I hope this goes better for us this time around um, and for you specifically, that group. Uh, although, you know, some have said that uh, 2022 sounds a lot like 2022, the sequel, you know. I don't think any of it. No, I'm not speaking that into existence. Uh, we're coming against that, Lord. That is not happening. Uh, for sure. It is that time of year, though, and when it's New Year's, where we have the inevitable new year, new you approach. That mantra takes hold. Uh, people make New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys make New Year's resolutions out there? It's not a bad thing. I'm not going to, you know, jump on that. I think, I think there's opportunities with resolutions. Um, have it, but let me ask a question. Have any of you guys made resolutions about your resolutions? I know, it sounds weird, right? Um, I mean, like, written resolutions. Do any of you guys do that? Like, some of you will. I do it, I do it for accountability purposes. You know, I want to make sure that I write it down. Here's one that I've done in the past, but I made a resolution about a resolution. So, you like, you know, in Congress or in a body of governance, they, they write them down, and they usually have some interesting language. And here's one that I wrote. Whereas my pants aren't fitting like they used to, and whereas I can't get up the stairs without taking breathing breaks, Resolved, that's the resolution, resolved, I will eat better and exercise regularly. Executed this day, January 1st, 2021. Sounds good, huh? Then, of course, a few days later, here's my resolution of my resolution. Um, Whereas I thought I would be more dedicated to the cause, and whereas I moved downstairs permanently, resolved, I will be archiving the previous resolution until January 1 of 2022. Executed this day, January uh, 5th, 2021, signed, disgruntled. Uh, yeah, new, New Year's resolutions, new. You know, obviously, yet New Year's, uh, if you've been to church on the week after New Year's or the week that, the, the Sunday that follows New Year's, you typically get some kind of, you know, new, new uh, service, something about new. And if that's what you came here for, thinking that that's what's gonna happen, that old school, traditional you're darn right. That's exactly what's happening. You're getting one of those. But uh, hopefully we'll take a different perspective on it today. Speaking of new, my, my wife and I, we uh, purchased a new motorcycle uh, just last week. Um, we're a part of a black sheep ministry. The black sheep ministry, it's a, uh, motorci- it's a ministry focused on the motorcycling community. If you're not familiar with motorcycling, a lot of people in the motorcycling community think of themselves already as outcasts with typical society. And so we minister to them uh, through a group um, called the Black Sheep. And we were super excited uh, to get this new motorcycle. Um, we've had one uh, with this group for the last seven years, but uh, fortunately got into a little uh, yeah, crash, nothing big, but uh, 
But uh, yeah, so, it, but it, the bike's fine. Uh, you know, my wife's fine too. Um, I know I should have said that first. My wife's fine. No, my wife wasn't on the bike. Um, but we finally got a traditional, we do a traditional New Year's Day ride with the group and we got to ride our new motorcycle for the first time yesterday together. And uh, we went, we rode over nearly 200 miles uh, yesterday through God's beautiful country here in Southwest Riverside and North uh, San Diego County um, on back roads. It was just amazing. But what's interesting about that is uh, afterwards, uh, talking with my wife about our ride, we, our feedback was surprisingly similar. And I don't mean surprisingly like, oh, we think alike. I meant more like it was similar. We were surprised that actually we felt the way that we did. Um, little things popped up like, well, you know, on the old bike, we had air suspension. So it kind of feels like you're on a cloud, you know. Um, and so it was a little bit more rigid for 200 miles to sit on. The saddle that we sit in the seat, um, it, it wasn't the same as our old saddle that felt like a hammock. You could just like sit in there and it feels like something comfortable you're just laying in. And um, the handlebars, they are a little bit low on this new bike where, you know, I used to ride up here, baby. And uh, it just felt comfortable, you know, right here and not so much here and trying to get used to that. The radio has all this new tech, which I'm cool with, but I had a lot of difficulty getting used to it and comfortable with it to start. It wasn't like what I was used to. Um, now, I, I want to be, be careful. I don't want to tell you I'm complaining about a new bike, a new blessing that's in my life, and that's because that's not what I'm getting at. But, I mean, because we love it. We absolutely love what we do with it. But sometimes, and I think you guys can agree, Sometimes, new can be uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes, uh, we, we can't recognize in the newness what might be happening right now because we're distracted by what is uncomfortable. And you guys relate? You guys can relate to that? I mean, <clears throat> I think we all can relate to that, right? It, you know, and much like the experience that we had with our new bike, the Black Sheep Ministry itself is going through some changes and introducing some new things. For example, our founder and president and vice president, for that matter, are retiring this May after nearly 25 years uh, leading the ministry. And along with it, the operations staff is going to be retiring. And they're moving the headquarters that's been here for the last 20 plus years in Murrieta, moving up to the high desert. So even the comforts that we had of going to the headquarters here and praying together, a lot of those things will change. Um, the incoming president is an awesome guy, but very different personality-wise from the founder. One is really quiet and deliberate in his sharing, while the other one is like a, a gregarious clown. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He went to clown school, like literally went to clown school to learn how to be a clown. It wasn't me. No, seriously. There's somebody, went to, somebody went to school, clown school. It's our friend Marty. Uh, he's He's amazing. And I, here's the weird part, though, is I know members of our group, they are connected to, have an affinity for Marty, the clown. And as he retires, it's going to be difficult for some to move with the new. Does that make sense? Right? Um, and, and also another little thing that's happening in our life is the motorcycle community that we serve, it's called Harley Owners Group Hog. Um, it's been a, di a difficult past few years for them. With COVID, things have been cut, shut down. So we typically go on rides, and after the ride, we go eat. Now you know why. You see what you see. Um, I ride a lot, and I eat a lot. No. Um, but 
But what's happened in the last two years is you can't really have that because a lot of places are closed down. We have usually very large groups not happening during this time. And so it's like one of those things where you really got to, you know, like figure out how to do different things during a time where you really couldn't do the things that you were used to and comfortable with. And, and so we got to a place where even there was some in, internal strife. The organization kind of s- spread apart. There was a lot of, you know, gossip and other things going on. Uh, not the black sheep, but the group that we serve. Uh, and we're like, whoa, what's going on here? And it was very uncomfortable to the point where we used to have, we have over 200 plus members in this group and it's dwindled down because of those frustrations and stresses and changes in life. Um, and we used to have uh, what's called a road captain. They're the ones that uh, guide the, the different bikes in a route, in a group formation. And we used to have nearly 15 to 20 of those to lead these large groups to their destination to make sure that they're safe and, and it's comfortable. We're down to three. And I was freaking out because typically what we do is we have a head road ca- or a lead road captain in the front and a, a rear road captain. So you have two, and we typically will run about 10 to 12 bikes in between for safety purposes. How are we going to do that if more people come? And, we, and so we're, you start, you know, stressing out, you know, like how are we going to do this? And this year they didn't have a head road captain, and so, you know, they needed a head road captain. I'm like, all right, I'll step into that role. But at the same time, I'm thinking, man, but that's not where I want to make my focus. I want to be able to do this. So you start getting all this kind of grumbling and wondering what's going on. Um, so we had three road captains run this group and, and, and pray for us because I, <laughs> it's going to be interesting moving forward. Sometimes the new isn't so comfortable. I liken what was going through with us in Black Sheep and in Hog, similar to when a pastor might leave a church. Or maybe it's a worship leader leaves a church. And then there's kind of like a shifting going on, right? And us in the audience, we're there and we're like, okay, there's some differences here. I'm not used to hearing this or I'm not used to seeing that or that's a different style. I'm kind of used to this. And we get all, we we start to measure those things against our experience or what we're comfortable with. And when the new comes up, it's sometimes hard. It's real though, right? Let's be real. New can sometimes be great, but it can also be very difficult. That's the real. Welcome to the desert of the real. For those of you that don't know it, I always put in a matrix reference for Tommy over there. So, um, a new year often signifies an opportunity for new goals, new opportunity, you know, those new opportunities, but sometimes the new is so difficult to embrace and it could be a distraction for fresh breakthrough. Uh, The good news is this, though. This dilemma that we're talking about, it is not unique or new, for that matter. I guess that might be bad news, then, if it's new. No, never mind. I don't want to date. I'm getting confused. But myself, um, we see this issue, this very issue arise in the book of Matthew between Jesus and John the Baptist. Okay. It's a little interesting. Because we know that John the Baptist has a specific role. And to set the stage, we'll talk about it a little bit here. John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. In Matthew 3, he preaches the need for repentance and that the kingdom of heaven is near, baptizing many, right? He confronts and denounces the Pharisees right there and lets them know that a greater one is coming. And he will separate the wheat, those true followers, from the chaff, the only ones uh, that didn't really know him, and he's going to burn the chaff up. Man, it's a never-ending fire. When he talks that, that would be kind of like, I'm sure he was kind of like, you better believe 
ooh, the Messiah's coming, and he's coming for those that aren't real. Yeah? And uh, he had a, I'm sure he had a picture of it because he's preaching repentance and kingdom is near. And it's this way. I'm going I'm to let you know. And man, but there's one still greater than me that's going to deliver it even with more. You know? And then he ends up identifying that Jesus is that greater one, and he prepares that way, and he baptizes him in the Jordan, as we know, and then something happens. John the Baptist calls out Herod Antipas, the governor of Galilee and Perea, for his sins, specifically marrying his brother's wife. Um, and as a result, Herod didn't like that too much and put him in prison, right? So the reason why I wanted to set the, the stage there is because John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, saw it, knew it, and was like, oh, here it is. Now he's in prison, so he doesn't get a, he doesn't get a front row seat to Jesus in the ministry, right? Instead, he has to kind of get reports in prison. So imagine he's in prison, and he has, to, he has disciples that have been following him, and John the Baptist says, hey, get me a report and, and, and let me know all the good, amazing things that the Messiah is doing out there, right? And you have to think after expressing... Um, what the Messiah was doing after those disciples came and gave him a report that maybe, just maybe, um, the reports he received might have been troubling to him, to John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was known for a very ascetic lifestyle, right? He denied himself of choice foods, alcohol, fine clothes. We all know that he ate, you know, wild honey and locusts and he wore clothes of camel hair and everybody, some people thought he was weird, but actually it was foretold that's exactly who it would be. He'd live this lifestyle, a very devoted life to this, this practice. Um, and I'm sure as the disciples came to the prison and told him, well, he's like, tell me, tell me what the Messiah's doing. I need to hear it. Tell me, I'm excited. And all of a sudden, he goes, well, um, he's, uh, he's gathering with sinners, um, you know, the dregs of society. Uh, he's uh, feasting a lot, we noticed, uh, and drinking. Uh, he's doing some drinking. Um, I'm sure John the Baptist is like, uh, you sure you got the right guy? I mean, did you guys visit the right guy? And they're like, yeah, this is kind of what he's doing. And again, to a, uh, a man who had a, lived a very specific lifestyle, seeing that must have been like, oh, wow, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he isn't the one. Whoa. Now, this is, this is the same guy who leapt in the womb. He was the first guy to know. He was the first guy to know. He leapt in the womb. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, these reports are feeling a little, mm, that's not what I was expecting, right? Um, and he probably questioned whether or not that was really the Messiah. So much so that in Matthew eleven two 2 through 3, he eventually asked his disciples, it says in Matthew uh, 11 here, it says, to John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? This is John the Baptist. I mean, through his disciples, this is John the Baptist again. The one that leapt, that knew. The one that prepared the way, the one that baptized Jesus. And yet, there's a concern. We'll come back to what, how Jesus answered that question in a minute. 
we're going to step back a little bit, specifically recorded in Matthew 9, Jesus was asked by the disciples of John the Baptist again about fasting. And they noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't fast and asked, and this is in uh, verse 14 of chapter 9, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, I'm going to give you an early red flag for today's day. I mean, back then, you know, obviously they were walking along with the Pharisees of the time. Um, but the red flag for us is if we start, if we start lumping ourselves in with Pharisees, um, that's not a good sign. You know, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, that's a very interesting group. They were uh, known for their rigid thinking. Uh, they were often targeted. They were the target of Jesus' challenges uh, for renewed thinking, they claimed to know the Messiah, but couldn't recognize when he was standing right before them. So Jesus responds with a challenge. He explains through an analogy that there is a time for everything, much like how we share in Ecclesiastes, but wanted to correct those disciples' pharisaical thinking about different practices by using some parables. And he says this uh, in, um, in Matthew 9, verses 16 and 17. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. So to understand this analogy, I'm gonna focus on the wine part of it because I like wine. Um, Jesus is using, uh, we must understand the practice of the time. So in Jesus's day, animal skins were used to, like a goat skin was used to store liquids. Now, the sugars inside of wine ferment and and that fermentation process releases gases uh, that expand what it's, it's stored in, right? So if you pour wine into a skin and you, uh, and then it ferments even more, gases are released, which then expand the skin itself, okay? Now, new skins have an elasticity. They can stretch and they can, you know, kind of, they can work with what they're, you know, what's happening with the fermentation with the gases. Where an old skin has already gone through that process and is a little bit more rigid, doesn't have the same elasticity or flexibility as before, And so what he's saying is that if we try to pour that new wine into an old wineskin, it's going to burst. It's going to burst. Because it stretches them beyond what they are capable of. And what it does is it spills out that new wine and destroys the old wineskin. See, Jesus is using this analogy to describe us as disciples, as those wineskins. When new wine or also known as those new moves of the Holy Spirit are flowing, it requires us to maintain that elasticity, that flexibility to accept the new movement that God is doing in us. If we're stuck in our old, comfortable ways, those old wineskins, unable to embrace any of the new moves of God, that new wine, because it isn't traditional or common or different, if it's different, then we might burst (laughs) and the new wine the new move might be spilled. Therefore, Jesus shares, to embrace that new wine, we will need to have a fresh wineskin 
so that both the movement and the disciple are, are uh, preserved. So to embrace the new wine, new move, we will need to have a fresh wineskin, a fresh mindset that can stretch beyond our comfort zone that we're used to. Now, this doesn't mean that the old is bad. I want to be clear here. That's not, this is not an attack on the old because, you know, there's many things that are great practice, great things that work, and, and, and we've seen God do amazing things, and so it's not to discount those things. However, for us, if there is a new wine, a new move available to us, then we need to be prepared for that. But here's an important question, because not all, not all bad things are I mean, not all old things are bad and not all new things are good, right? So how do we tell the difference? How do we know, you know, there's things that have come, you know, the different types of gimmicks, things like that that we might see and we're like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't know. Well, how do we really know if it's, if it's a move that we can embrace, that we can test and see what is good of and, and work with it? And I think that's where we find out in um, going back to that original question from uh, Matthew 11 where John the Baptist, uh, Baptist disciples spoke about, hey, are you the Messiah? So let's, let's see how Jesus responded uh, to him here. It says in verse 2, Matthew 11, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting, or should we be looking for someone else? And this is what Jesus responded with in 4. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've, you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So how did John, uh, Jesus answer John the Baptist through his disciples' question? He encouraged them to quit focusing on how his behavior fit the current religious climate, but to instead focus on the fruit produced. People were healed and good news was proclaimed. When people focus on the fruit, it is easy to see God at work. It is when we're distracted and maybe even tied by a pharisaical or maybe even systematic practice, something that we got, we've maybe just become comfortable with, then we can maybe get distracted and, not, and, and have difficulty seeing what Jesus might be doing in that moment. When we shift our focus from the behavior to the fruit, then it's, more, it's, it's much more difficult to actually lose sight of what the new things God could be doing in and through us. So I want to close in this, actually, you know, uh, because I think this, is a, this was a cool thing that I think God shared with me, and, and, and I, was, I wanted to share it with you. So we talk about new one of the, you know, there's a very, there's an awesome scripture that always talks about new and it's, it's often used out of context just to share about the new, you know, that happens in our lives and, and people throw it around. It's in Isaiah and we're going to get to it right now. But, but I, I, when I was consuming it, reading it, and it's one of my favorite scriptures, uh, passages, when I was consuming it, I was kind of like, man, God, thank you. You're sharing something new with me. And, uh, it was a good new. So I'm going to share it with you right here. So we're going to read uh, Isaiah 43, 14 through 19, but I'm actually going to start with 14 through 17, okay? So it's called the Lord's promise of victory. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they're so proud of. 
I am, the, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the seas. I called forth a mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. Some confident, awesome power that he's displaying there. So in this scripture, this passage right here, the Lord explains to the Israelites that they're dealing with a, a new enemy, uh, the Babylonian Empire, and that he's going to thwart that enemy in this season by reminding them of one of the most awesome showings of his power and authority ever documented through the Israelite exodus of Egypt. Of the many biblical stories that displays the uh, amazing and awesome wonders of our mighty God, the exodus out of Egypt is one of the most popular that is depicted in film, art, media for centuries. While there are thousands of pieces depicting the Exodus dating back to like 14th century and now, the 19th century produced like a, I don't know, it was like a renaissance or some kind of period where there was just, it was free flowing, focused on, on uh, the many offerings that God's wonders out of Exodus produced. And it was, it was just something that was to be seen in the form of art. And this biblical epic has been covered in film as far back as when films were still silent. And, and then later with the major offering, and many of you guys are, some of you guys in the room might be familiar with it, um, as far, or the, the legendary filmmaker Cecil B. DeMille, his 1923 Academy Award winning film, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner, very famous, all the way back in 23, and even as recently as 2014, where Sir Ridley Scott uh, did his take on it, Obviously, a little bit different, and it's had some creative license, but the idea was that it's, it's been something that has been covered through art for many centuries, this exodus of Egypt. And uh, if you're not familiar with Ridley Scott, he's the guy who made historical epics like, like Gladiator, award-winning Gladiator, if you guys are familiar with that movie. Um, and and you know, here's the real cool part, I thought. It didn't just make its impact on art but it made it in politics and governance. After the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Continental Congress approved a resolution uh, that appointed Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams to design the Great Seal of the United States. And after six weeks of independent work, they appeared back before the Congress uh, to present their respective designs. Surprisingly, two of them, Franklin and Jefferson, came back with similar designs both depicting a scene from the narrative of the Israelite exodus from Egypt. Specifically, Franklin's design showed Moses lifting up his wand and dividing the Red Sea. And if you want to put that up, Tammy, for us. Um, lifting the, uh, up his wand and dividing the Red Sea and Pharaoh in his chariot, overwhelmed by the waters and the inscription, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Jefferson's offering depicted the passage found in Exodus 13 where the Lord led the Israelites by, uh, by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. These ideas were eventually scrapped. They, didn't, they went with the eagle. But the more important part I would think is that it's, it's significant because those men, both of whom had challenges with your traditional Christian doctrine and divinity, for, for example, Jefferson, who was a theist, uh, firmly rejected biblical miracles, Right? He firmly rejected biblical miracles, envisioned that the Israelite exodus as the one narrative that could possibly symbolically encapsulate what the new nation was about or like represent what the new nation was about. A biblical epic by a man who didn't necessarily believe in those miracles. And yet for the new nation that was formed, 
This is what they came up with, one of them. Franklin came up with this one. Why did I share this with you? Because obviously whether we're discussing Moses being miraculously spared as a baby during Pharaoh's order to kill Israelite baby boys or the account of the bush that was on fire and didn't burn up and therefore a holy appointment with God took place or the ranges of plagues that went out in the show of power against other Egyptian gods, the eventual liberation from slavery for that people or the ultimate rescue via the parting of the Red Sea, people throughout time, whether you believe in it or not, recognize the biblical account of Exodus as one of the most prime examples of awesome power and authority on display, worthy of depiction in art and even in reality. So circling back to those verses we spoke about a minute ago, 14 through 17, the Lord tells his people he has something in store for the enemy and reminds them of an amazing display of awesome power and authority that he already shared as he led the people out of Exodus and thwarted Pharaoh but follows up in verse 18 with this promise of victory. But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. But forget all that. All that awesome display of power I already showed, it's gonna be nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Mind blown, right? God is so good. He's reassuring his people that the enemy won't prosper and reminds us that what he's done previously for that reassurance. So obviously he's gonna go back to the playbook, right? He's gonna go right back to the playbook and do the same exact things over and over again that he's already done, right? Right? Well, what does it say in verse 19? For I'm about to do something new. It doesn't say, forget all that that I did because I'm gonna do it again, because I'm just gonna go right back to the playbook. It says, forget all that, because I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway in the wilderness, or through the wilderness, I will create rivers through the dry wasteland. For us, we gotta keep our eyes open for the new movement of the Lord. We gotta embrace the new wine that might be coming, that God is trying to pour in us and, and work through us. So as we enter 2022, this world that we're living in right now, hopefully not 2020 part two, the world is covered by this dark cloud of despair, right? A world desperately in need of the gospel of hope. And I believe, I really do, I believe God is revealing to us this new wine that he has for each and every one of us, individual, each and every one of us to carry. And it's gonna be so much greater than the awesome things that he's already, been, he's already done in our lives in and through us. Will you embrace it? Will you embrace that new wine that he's ready to put and pour into you? So I wanna flip back to what I was sharing with you guys earlier about the struggles I was having with this new thing that's happening with our black sheep organization and the new thing that's happening with our ministry group, the motorcycle community with, uh, with uh, the Harley owners group. We have three RCs. Two of them go to this church. And I remember I asked, I asked uh, in our leadership DG, I asked uh, for prayer. And I said, man, I don't know how we're going to do it. Two RCs, or, I mean, three RCs total for what we've been doing in the past. And my good brother, our pastor, Casey, 
looked at me and Wayne, who was the other RC, because we're both kind of questioning that. He looked at us and he goes, I'll tell you what, two out of three, knowing the Lord isn't a bad start. A majority. And immediately shifted and shook me in a moment of like, oh man, we got the majority on this side. And when it grows, I see God shifting atmospherically already the things that we're going to do in it because he's preparing it in a new way. He's preparing it. So while new things can be daunting sometimes, I'm going to keep an open mind myself of the new things God is doing in and through me, through the black sheep ministry that I'm involved with here, through elevation, even if it stretches me in ways that make me uncomfortable. And for you guys, after hearing what we've shared today, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to take some time and ask yourself some questions. What obstacles, practices, habits might be keeping you from embracing a new wineskin to support the new wine God is pouring into you? How could you better recognize those new moves of God, that, the moves that he desires you to be involved in? And what fruit are you going to be producing or are producing now in the practices of your faith and mission? Let's be intentional about the new moves of God in our lives in 2022. Let us pray. Father God, uh, I thank you so much for a new year. Just the fact that we can get up out of bed, put our feet down, and take a, a breath and letting us know that we are here and alive. And that must mean that you still have more purpose this side of heaven for us, Lord. I thank you for this as we turn the pages on 2021 and we come into 2022, Lord. May we be open to what you may be doing that stretches us. May we be open, Lord, to seeing new things. And while they may be uncomfortable, while they may feel challenging, Lord, that we can rely on your promise of victory in many, and just like it says in Isaiah, Lord, that you're doing a new thing and to forget all the old things that were so great. We're not gonna forget them as a remembrance, but just forget that for the moment because you're gonna do something even better. You're gonna do something new. And you're going to bring rivers through dry wastelands. So, Father, as we leave here today, may we reflect upon the new that you're going to do in our lives. And may we be that new wineskin to accept what the Spirit might be doing. And I just bless that this group step into those things with intentionality that they're going to hunger and thirst after these opportunities, that they're going to keep their eyes open to that, Lord, and I'm going to keep my eyes open, and that we would come back, specifically after this, this uh, fast to start, but then throughout the year we would come back and share the fresh testimony of the good and new things you're doing in our lives. We thank you. We praise you. Yes, it's in your son's mighty name. Amen. Dance a new dance like David